If you haven't done so already, let me invite you to turn in your copy of God's inerrant, inspired, and infallible Word. We'll be looking at Genesis chapter 30 this morning, so go ahead and turn there, especially verses 25 to 43. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage beginning on page 24, I believe. Page 24 of the Bibles provided. In his book, The National Pastime, John Thorne recounts the story of when the Baltimore Orioles got caught cheating. Uh, It happened somewhere in their historic run between 1894 and 1896. Uh, The Orioles outfielders, they would hide extra baseballs in the tall grass in the outfield. And when a ball was hit into the outfield, they would grab one of those stashed balls and hit the cutoff man, uh, preventing opponents from getting doubles and triples, really keeping them mostly to singles. That was until they got caught. Uh, or really when they exposed their own cheating. Don't you love it when cheaters do that? Um, you see, on, on one occasion, uh, a ball was hit into the outfield, and an outfielder went and grabbed one of those hidden balls, and he threw it to second base, and his teammates followed the original ball, got that one, and threw that one also to second base. And so the umpire noticed what was going on, he stopped the game, he investigated the incident, and eventually awarded a win to the opposing team. Uh, I'm not going to make any comments about the more recent incidents with the Houston Astros baseball team, except to say that I am glad when cheaters get caught and lose. Um, Here's the thing. Sometimes cheaters get away with it in this life, don't they? Uh, Perhaps board games around your family dinner table. Sometimes that's that's happened. Um, One comfort, though, is that you can't cheat God. Uh, we, We see that today in our text as Laban cheats Jacob, but God sovereignly intervenes to prosper Jacob despite Laban's cheating. Nothing, you see, will keep God from keeping His promises to bless Jacob, not even Laban's cheating. And so here we see you can't cheat God. God's purposes, they can't be thwarted. His promises cannot be stopped. And this holds comfort for the people of God because all of the opposition of the world will not stop God's purpose to bless His people. That's the theme of our text. And beloved, here's the sermon in a sentence. God will keep His promise to bless you despite the world's opposition. God will keep His promise to bless you despite the world's opposition. Now in the first half of Genesis chapter 30, it was about God keeping His promise really to multiply Jacob's people, his offspring. And the second half of Genesis 30 that we're really looking at today is about God keeping His promises to multiply Jacob's possessions. So first half, the multiplication of Jacob's people. Second half, the multiplication of Jacob's possessions. And we're looking at the second half this morning of Genesis 30. We're going to unpack our passage in three sections under three headings. One, Jacob's difficult situation. Number two, Jacob's deal with Laban. And number three, God's divine blessing. I believe there's a full outline provided there in the bulletin. I trust it will help you to follow along. Let's begin with our first point. Jacob's difficult situation. Follow along as I read Genesis chapter 30, verses 25 to 30. Genesis chapter 30, verses 25 to 30. 
As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. For you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord Yahweh has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it is increased abundantly. And the Lord Yahweh has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? Well, you see here, it's, it's safe to see, that, safe to say, that Jacob is stuck in a difficult situation. On the one hand, he had received blessing after blessing as his family had grown. He now has 11 sons. Each son, though, sometimes added through sinful schemes, as we thought about last week, each son was a blessing from the Lord. Each child was a blessing from the Lord. Children are always a blessing from the Lord. And one of the lessons of the book of Genesis it's teaching us is this. Sin will not stop God from accomplishing His purposes. Sin will not stop God from accomplishing His purposes. He can still fulfill His promises, though sinners fail over and over again. I mean, the first half of Genesis 30 tells us that Rachel failed, and Leah failed, and Jacob failed. They all failed, and yet God was faithful. Despite their sin, God kept His promise to make Jacob's offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. And we see here with the arrival of Joseph, Jacob is ready to hit the road. He he wants to go home. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 28, when the Lord met Jacob in a dream at Bethel, he promised to bring Jacob back to his homeland. Jacob wants to return to that land that God had promised him. That's why he asks Laban to send him away there in verse 25. But there's more. Do you see why Jacob wants to leave? He wants to go to his own home. He really wants to build his own home. For the last 14 years, at least the last 14 years, he's been building Laban's home. Both he and Laban, they know it too. The time has come for Jacob to be the head of his own household. And so Jacob asks for Laban to let his people go. You see that in verse 26? Give me my wives and my children. Be sure to drive home the point that they belong to him because he faithfully served Laban for them. And as we're going to see, Laban's character is to put his hands on everything and to try and keep hold of everything. And Jacob's wanting to let him know, no, 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 they belong to me, not to you. I know you want to claim them as your own, but they actually belong to me. They're gifts from God to me. Twice in Verse 26 there, you see that Jacob tells Laban that he served him. Jacob clearly understands that prying his family out of the hands of Laban is going to be difficult. And Jacob's history with Laban has basically amounted to Laban finding yet another way to tie him down and keep him in his service. And all of this language would have reminded the first readers, the people of Israel in the wilderness... It would have reminded them of their own experience. We've got to remember there's, there's an original audience for this book. And, and they would have remembered, hey, we served Pharaoh like Jacob served Laban. We served in Pharaoh's house like Jacob served in Laban's house. And in fact, what happened in Laban's house with the, the, the multiplication of Jacob's offspring, that actually happened for us 
in Pharaoh's house, right? The people of God multiplied in the land of Egypt. Even during their slavery and service to Pharaoh, God blessed the people of Israel. Even as they actually built Pharaoh's house. Remember, they built those store cities. They're probably seeing parallels in Jacob's experience away from the promised land and their experience away from the promised land. But there came a time when they also wanted to go home. Like Pharaoh, Laban wanted to keep Jacob and his offspring under his thumb. That's what's happening really in verses 27 and 28. Laban is politely saying, no, I don't want to let you go. You are such a valuable resource to me. You see what he says there in verse 27? He says, if I have found favor in your sight. And I think those words would have been piercing to Jacob. Right? Because Jacob got tied down with Laban because he found Rachel favorable in his sight. These, uh, these are, are it's a difficult situations he's trying to remove himself from. Then, uh, Laban, he goes on, right? He says, I've learned by divination that the Lord Yahweh has blessed me because of you. Trying to appeal to Jacob's God. And it seems here in this language of, of divination that Laban has used a wicked pagan ritual or sorcery to kind of gain this knowledge. And I don't think we should be surprised by this at all. But the reality is, is if Laban weren't so thick, uh, he could have remembered that he had seen how God had blessed Abraham and Isaac. And it shouldn't take much for him to kind of divine or discern through really basic observation that Yahweh is with the family of Abraham. Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob. Now Laban is, is actually flattering Jacob. Laban's announcing that Yahweh's been faithful. He's kept his promises that he made to Abraham and his descendants. So in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, we learn that Abraham and his descendants, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, those who are a part of the Abrahamic covenant are blessed by God to be a blessing. And that's what Jacob has actually done in Laban's household. Laban has experienced the blessing of God through Jacob. And in verse 28, you see there he says, uh, Name your wages and I will give it. Laban's saying, what's it going to take to keep you to stay? Let's, let's make a deal here. What's the, the number on the check that I've got to fill out to make sure that you stay here? Name your price. And just pause and think, is that what Jacob actually asked for? Not at all, right? Jacob asked to walk away. And Laban is asking, what's the price to keep you to stay? In verses 29 and 30, Jacob sees what Laban is doing. He sees that Laban is shifting the question from letting him walk away to wages. And notice that Jacob, he doubles down on what Laban has actually said. He reminds Laban that the Lord Yahweh has indeed blessed Laban through Jacob. Before Jacob, Jacob came, Laban had little. And now Laban has a lot. And all of this is blessing from the Lord. Laban owes Jacob. And Jacob's freedom is the least that he could give him in return. And notice the words there, increased abundantly. Do you see them there? Right now they're applied to Laban. But skip down to the last verse in our chapter. Go, skip down to verse 43. you see what it says there? Verse 43 of Genesis chapter 30. Thus the man... That's Jacob. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Right? This is where the narrative begins, right? With Laban increasing greatly. But you see where it's going to end, right? With Jacob increasing greatly. The Lord will bless him in the end. And so Jacob, he returns to that original question there at the end of verse 30. 
But now when shall I provide for my own household also? You see the difficult situation that Jacob's in? He's stuck. He's stuck in Laban's household. He's actually kind of penniless at this point. right? He's got no money to his own name. He's stuck in a household with a man who has sticky fingers. And Jacob's wondering, how am I going to provide? You see the wheels turning in his head? Jacob's starting to figure out a scheme. And so is Laban. But here's my question. Where is the Lord in Jacob's thinking? Have you thought about that? It's interesting to me that Jacob says, The Lord Yahweh has blessed you wherever I have turned. He sees how Yahweh has blessed Laban. But does he see how the Lord has actually blessed him with his offspring? Does he see how the Lord has begun to keep his promises to him? Shouldn't the, keeping, the Lord's keeping of his promises concerning offspring encourage him in the hope that the Lord will keep the rest of his promises too? Right? Shouldn't he continue to look to the Lord and trust the Lord to provide for him? You see his question there at the end of verse 30. But now when shall I provide for my own household? At one level, I think that Jacob is right to think about how he can provide for his family. Right? Every good husband and father should have a plan for how they will provide for their household. But we can never forget the words of Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor build it in vain. Be on guard against building without begging God to build with you. Jacob and we have to be very careful not to depend upon human self-sufficiency, especially in difficult situations like this. And as the narrative develops, we're going to see Jacob depend upon his cleverness. And all of his engagement with Laban is really part of the Lord's long-range plan of teaching Jacob to trust him. In fact, all of your difficult situations, Christian, all of your difficult situations are part of the Lord's long-range plan of teaching you to trust him. And before we press on, I, I do think there's something in Jacob's desires here that we should see and seek to emulate. He wants to go home. He wants to go to his homeland. Now I wonder if your homeland, the land that God promised to give you, has such a pull in your heart. Do you want to go home? We should not loathe this world. But like Jacob, we should long for the promised land of heaven. The land that God has promised to give to us as His people. You know, this past week, a a faithful and longtime member of our congregation, Alice Linton, she was um, was placed in hospice care. And on Thursday afternoon, I I sat next to her bed as she slept. I read scripture to her and prayed for her. I thank the Lord for her years of service to our church family. She led Sunday school in our church And she led Sunday school classes in our church for nearly 50 years. And as I sat with Alice, I couldn't help but think that it must be her heart's desire to see Jesus and to go home to Him. Do you long for heaven and home? Do you take the words of Hebrews 13 verse 14 to heart? For here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. Are you seeking that city? Are you longing for that home with the Lord Jesus Christ? Jacob's heart here is set on home. And in this difficult situation, he's trying to find a way home. In all of your life, are you preparing 
to go home. Having your heart set on the right goal will help you to endure life's difficulties. One of the things that Jacob is going to have to endure is the deceitful schemes of Laban. We see this emerge in, in Jacob's deal with Laban, found there in Genesis 30, verses 31 to 36. This is our second point, Jacob's deal with Laban. Follow along as I read verses 31 to 36 now. Verses 31 to 36. He said, this is Laban saying, he said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and the speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. We see in these verses that Jacob and Laban, they they strike a deal. Jacob promises honesty there in verse 33, but Laban deals deceitfully there in verse 35. Now, I'm I'm told that it's common practice never to make the first offer in negotiations, right? Uh, Laban is clearly a skilled negotiator. Uh, The last time he bargained with Jacob, he let Jacob make the first offer. And he's kind of goading Jacob into making the first offer again. And observe that Jacob flatly refuses to receive free payment from Laban. He will work for his wages. If he, if he actually just took payment from Laban, then he would have actually been locked into servitude and indebted to Laban as he was the previous 14 years. Right? Laban's overall scheme is to keep Jacob in his household. And so Jacob's actual refusal of payment reminds us of when his grandfather Abraham refused payment from the king of Sodom in Genesis 14. Uh, We wouldn't be wrong to lump Laban in with the king of Sodom. They're both untrustworthy scoundrels. And through this refusal, we see that Jacob's matured just a little bit. He knows how to negotiate with Laban now after a few years in his household. And Jacob's counteroffer is to pasture Laban's flock. And as payment for those labors, he's going to keep the speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats. Now, we need to realize that actually in the ancient Near East, uh, this was often a, a common arrangement between the owner of a flock and the shepherds who served under them. Shepherds would often take a small part of the owner's flock as payment for their wages, for their, for their labor. Uh, but this deal is unusual Because as one scholar points out, in the Mediterranean world, the sheep are normally white and the goats are black. And so thus, Jacob is requesting the irregular, just to say the rare and abnormal parts of Laban's flock. So so in other words, Jacob is requesting kind of the smaller number of Laban's flock. And it was really a fair offer. As uh, Ian Dugan observes, 
as, as Jacob would kind of go on to pasture this flock, if the flock got bigger, then both would benefit. But if the flock got smaller, both would suffer. So it was really in, in both of their interests to kind of take this deal. It was a kind of rising tide lifts all boats kind of arrangement. Still, you can see how Laban would be interested in this deal. The, uh, the births of the speckled and spotted animals would be few and far between from a flock of single colored animals. Uh, Jacob was clearly hopeful for the future. And maybe this signals maybe some faint faith from Jacob. Nevertheless, Jacob wants, to, wants everything to be above board. He purposes to deal righteously with Laban. And that's why he puts himself really under punishment for theft. If any can be found among his flock that are of a single color. This is how the people of God are to conduct their business. Righteously and honorably in all of our dealings. Proverbs 11.1 1 says a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. But a just weight is his delight. In Zechariah chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, we read these words from the Lord. These are the things that you shall do. Speak truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. You see how the Lord hates injustice. He hates false schemes. He hates uneven weights and balances. These principles of righteousness, of speaking truth to one another, of dealing honorably, making just judgments, no false oath. These principles of honorable dealings, righteousness, they carry over to the New Testament people of God too. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. When we come to the pastoral epistles, the qualities of church leaders are laid out and we're told that deacons and elders cannot be greedy for dishonest gain. Beloved, when we enter into contracts and agreements, let us purpose to have just and honorable dealings. This shows our confidence in the Lord and Him working out whatever problems might be ahead for us. It, it shows our confidence in Him and not in our cleverness or our cunning. Jacob, he's basically offering to open up the books or the folds of Laban for inspection. And you've got to know that, that Laban would definitely investigate Jacob's flock over the coming months and years. Right? Laban wasn't the kind of man who would let himself get cheated. But he was the kind of man who would cheat. And that's just what happens in verses 35 and 36, isn't it? Notice how verse 35 opens. But that day... And Laban immediately cheated Jacob. In contrast to Jacob's willingness to deal openly with Laban, Laban once again deals with Jacob in an underhanded way. Jacob already had little prospect of receiving the, the, the kinds of animals that he needed uh, from a kind of mono-colored uh, flock, generally speaking. But it would have helped his prospects to have some of those speckled and spotted among the flock from which to breed. Not only did Laban remove them, but he goes above and beyond, doesn't he? I mean, let's just, not just give them into the charge of his sons, but let's push them three days away so there's no hope of him finding out this flock and trying to use them then. He gives them to his sons. Laban really does have uh, sticky fingers. He clearly wants a longer timetable with Jacob, right? So if he removes those members of the flock, that means it's going to take all the more time 
for Jacob to build up his own that are going to belong to him. Laban is a swindler. He's a thief. That's why we read from that passage in 1 Corinthians 6. And, and actually, Jacob is actually just looking at a man in the mirror, right? We saw earlier with the taking of the birthright of stealing the blessing from his brother, uh, that Jacob is learning the harsh realities of what it means to be a cheat. So we, we read, remember from 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And among those right, were thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, and swindlers. All of that's true of Jacob. Right? He stole his brother's blessing, he was greedy for his birthright. He got drunk on his wedding night. Uh, he certainly reviled the Lord, and he was a swindler. And then amazingly, in that text, Paul, he's, he's speaking about New Testament Christians, right? He, he's saying, do you not know that the unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of God? And then amazingly, he says, and such were some of you. You ever thought about making that like a call to worship, that passage? You're all a bunch of sinners, and here's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us worship. In an interesting way. Such were some of you. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of our God. Christian, do you realize what, what God has done for you in Jesus Christ? All of your sins. Washed away by the wonderful blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we've got to recognize, when we read a passage like Genesis 30, we read that passage like 1 Corinthians 6, there's honestly a little bit of Laban in each one of us. There's a little bit of Jacob in each one of us. We all want to get ahead in something. We all want an advantage in something. And sometimes we're tempted to take advantage of others so that we can. Just like Laban does Jacob here. Proverbs 28, verse 25 tells us, that a greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Do you hear that? A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Only when we are satisfied with the riches of Jesus Christ will we be willing to forego the riches of this world by means of dishonest gain. I don't know if you've thought about it, but your contentment in Christ is a guard against a covetous and cheating spirit. Your contentment in Christ is a guard against what we see here. In his um, classic book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, which we have some copies on the book note that I would encourage you to read, uh, Jeremiah Burroughs, he defines Christian contentment like this. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Contentment, you see, is satisfaction with God and His purposes for us. True Christian contentment says, Lord, you know what's best. You have given what is best in the amount that is best, in the time that is best. And I'm thankful. Contentment trusts God's providence, His purposes for us. Contentment trusts God's prudence, His wisdom for us. Contentment trusts God's power, His ability to work something good from something bad. Contentment trusts God's provision, His means. Contentment trusts God's positioning, where He's put us. Contentment trusts God's passion, His love for us. 
A content heart trusts God and doesn't covet or cheat like we see here. A content heart trusts in the Lord and lets Him work His purposes out. Now, it's a little hard to say, as we're going to see in this passage, it's a little hard to say that Jacob was perfectly content, fully trusting in the promises and the power of God to bless him. Or at least his faith isn't really loudly announced in the passage that we're looking at. What we see next involves some seemingly shady activity from Jacob himself. That said, what cannot be mistaken is that God blesses Jacob in the end. Laban might have had his plans to keep Jacob poor, but God had his plans to make Jacob rich. And here we see with the most clarity that God will keep his promises to Jacob despite Laban's opposition. In Genesis 30, verses 37 to 43, we encounter God's divine blessing. This is our third point. Follow along now as I read Genesis 30, beginning there in verse 37. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's, and the stronger, Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly, and had large flocks, female servants, and male servants, and camels, and donkeys. The blessing of the Lord triumphs in the end, doesn't it? Uh, let's commend Jacob here. He is patient in adversity. He is diligent in difficulty. He doesn't complain. Uh, he's been dealt a bad hand by Laban again. But he remains true to his word and he keeps his part of the deal. He perseveres despite opposition from Laban. He pastures Laban's flock, even though he got the wrong kind of, he's got the wrong kind of flock before him in order to bring forth the speckled and spotted and the bottled. Uh, here we encounter uh, some sticky business from Jacob, don't we? Uh, he takes some of these sticks from poplar and almond and plane trees. He peels them, exposing the white. Now, in the, um, in the original language, um, the poplar and the white are actually closely related to Laban's name. So Jacob, he's going to beat Laban at his own game with these sticks that sound uh, like his name. And it, the story, it almost actually kind of makes fun of Laban in the process. Anyway, Jacob, he, he places these sticks around the watering troughs and uh, the flocks, they, they bred in front of them. The hope seems to be that the color of the sticks would affect the color of the offspring. Or at least that the increased breeding would increase the chances of the flock bringing forth speckled and spotted. Now, scholars are kind of divided on what's going on here with Jacob. Uh, some want to argue that what Jacob is doing is scientifically rooted. He's a good naturalist and he, he understands how these sticks can uh, work. That there's you know, some acidity in the sticks or something like that. That, um, that affects the outcome of the color of uh, the, the sheep and the offspring. 
Um, while other scholars believe that Jacob is pursuing kind of a local superstition, uh, some call it kind of a sympathetic magic, as it were. Uh, when we come to the next chapter, in Genesis chapter 31, verses 10 and 12, you'll see that God revealed to Jacob a dream that it was his doing all along. But we're, we're not told that Jacob actually gets this method from the Lord. So, so what's going on? Here's my take. If you're going to pin me down, I think that Jacob is probably acting in a superstitious manner here. I think that we're, we're getting something that akin to actually happened earlier in the chapter uh, with breeding, with Rachel and the mandrakes. You remember back in verses 14 to 24 of Genesis chapter 30, how Rachel wanted the mandrakes from Leah so that she could conceive and bear a child. And in the end, we, we saw from that text that it was the maker, not the mandrakes, who brought children. And I think that something like that is actually going on with Jacob here. I think the Lord's bearing with Jacob's kind of feeble faith, even patiently working through what may be his superstition. It wasn't the sticks that caused the offspring to be spotted and speckled. It wasn't Jacob's superstitious practice. It was the sovereign God who purposed and planned to prosper Jacob. And the narrative has really highlighted the difficulty. Remember how it highlighted the difficulty with Rachel? Right? She was barren. And then the Lord opened her womb. And that's what's happening here. The narrative is highlighting the difficulty that Jacob is facing so that we know that this is a supernatural work from God. Not only did Jacob strike a deal that wasn't likely to yield a great many of the flock that he really needed, but Laban, he made matters worse by removing those of the flock who could have helped to more quickly produce the spotted and speckled offspring. The odds are impossibly stacked against Jacob. How is he going to grow and prosper and provide for his family? Well, the same way that the Lord gave him offspring. Through the Lord's sovereign blessing. The Lord is going to intervene. The Lord is going to overcome and overturn all of Laban's opposition. The Lord's going to work through Jacob's feeble faith. Why? Because God keeps His promises to His people. The promises of the Abrahamic covenant, which have been now passed down to Jacob, were that God would give him a people and a place and prosperity. Well, in the last chapter we saw that he received the people. And now in this chapter we're seeing that he's receiving that prosperity that God promised. The Lord will keep His promise to bless Jacob despite Laban's opposition, even Jacob's feeble faith. Brothers and sisters, friends, we have a God who keeps His promises. Right? In verses... 40 to 42, Jacob is also, we're, we're being shown here, he's also practicing some wise animal husbandry. So he, he wisely separates the flock so that he can more quickly produce the kinds of sheep and the goats that he needs. But he also does this kind of selective breeding so that he receives the stronger of the offspring and Laban uh, receives the weaker. Uh, it's, it's kind of like the people of Israel when they leave Pharaoh's household. Right? They actually kind of rob Pharaoh of all of his wealth. And Jacob's kind of preparing to do that here. Jacob's wealth is increasing somewhat at Laban's expense. Now, none of the details, the sticks and the selective breeding, none of those details were part of the agreement with, uh, with Laban. So it's hard to say that Jacob was being intentionally or explicitly deceptive here. He was certainly being shrewd in intentionally choosing the stronger flock for himself and the weak flock for Laban. Uh, it's hard to say that Laban is harmed by Jacob's animal husbandry, but uh, he certainly isn't as blessed uh, by Jacob as he used to be. 
But that's all part of the Lord's plan too. The Lord's plan was not to increase and enrich Laban's household. The Lord's plan was to increase and prosper Jacob's household. It was Jacob's family, not Laban's, who were the recipients of the promises of God. And Laban knew that he should have sided with Jacob. He should have blessed Jacob. And in return, he would have received the Lord's blessing. That was a promise, actually, of the Abrahamic covenant. That those who bless God's people will be blessed in return. But those who curse God's people, and that's what Laban did by taking that flock that Jacob needed. The promises of the Abrahamic covenant is those who curse God's people will be cursed too. Laban should have actually taken the side of the Lord and blessed Jacob instead of trying to cheat him. What we read in verse 43 is actually an echo of what we've already heard before in the book of Genesis. What Moses is saying in this verse was actually said about Abraham and Isaac before him. And I don't want to read those passages about Abraham and Isaac, but I want to encourage you to keep actually your eyes on this text, verse 43. When Abraham was leaving Pharaoh's house, we read these words about him in Genesis 12, 16. And he had sheep and oxen, male donkeys and male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. Do you see the, the similarity there? Like the Lord is blessing Jacob like he blessed Abraham when Abraham left his house. And then, listen to what Abraham's servant says about Isaac as he comes to sweep Rebekah off of her feet and take her out of Laban's house, actually. In Genesis 24, verse 35, it says this, The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. Do you see what Moses is telling us about Jacob? And at the moment that Jacob is poised to take Laban's daughters and his offspring out of his house, that's what's going to happen. The Lord is keeping his promises to bless him. And did you notice the bounty of the blessing, right? We're not only talking, we're not only told that he greatly increased, but we're told that he greatly increased beyond just being wealthy in those flocks that he was raising, the speckled and spotted sheep and goats. No, he had servants and camels and donkeys. This is beyond what Jacob had even hoped for. But it's exactly what God promised. Back in Genesis chapter 28, verse 14, in his dream at Bethel, the Lord told Jacob that he would spread abroad to the east and to the west and to the north and to the south. Well, why would Jacob need to spread out? Because he would have so much wealth from the Lord. And the people of God would grow. Beloved, do you, do you understand the message that this passage is, is really teaching that first audience who received the book of Genesis? Do, do you understand its message really for us? Right? For Israel, the people who first received this, this passage, they had just come up out of Pharaoh's house. They were stuck in his service. And yet God enriched them in Egypt. Right? He enriched them and then he freed them. And he kept his promise to them. He enriched them actually at the expense of Egypt. Jacob's life in Laban's house it foreshadowed and mirrored their own experience. And as they read Jacob's story, they were being encouraged to remember that the Lord was committing, committed to blessing them despite Pharaoh's opposition. They could trust their God and follow his lead into the future. And the message of the passage for us is not too dissimilar. 
Right? We too face opposition from this world. In passages like Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus says things like, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus even reminds us in passages like John chapter 8, verse 34, that we were once slaves to sin, but because He loves us and gave His life for us, He set us free from the dominion of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Remember the passages in the Gospels where Jesus talks about how He's come actually to bind the strong man and set His people free. This is what Jesus has done. God in His immense kindness has enriched us in Jesus Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And I want you to see this for yourself. You need to see this in your own Bible. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you should be able to find Ephesians 1, beginning on page 976. Ephesians chapter 1, I want us to read verses 3 to 14. And as we prepare to, to read this, I want us to think about how God sovereignly blessed Jacob despite Laban's opposition. And we need to remember that we are the recipients of God's great blessings too. In the Old Testament, um, God's blessings were often more material and preparatory for the even greater spiritual blessings that we would have received in Jesus Christ. In other words, when, when I say that God blesses us as the New Testament people of God, I'm not saying that you are going to be materially rich like Jacob. I mean, maybe the Lord will give you some camels and donkeys, but those are even far inferior blessings to what He promises and intends in Jesus Christ. He intends to give and bless His people spiritually and eternally in His Son. And as we read these verses, consider how God has blessed you and how blessed you are in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning there in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. For even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him... We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. In the original language, in the, the Greek here, the, the verses that we just read actually are just one long sentence. Uh, they all hang together. Uh, you can't break apart God's blessings in Jesus Christ. And notice that according to verse 3, the people of God have every 
spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Christian, you have been chosen in Christ and united to Christ. You have been made holy and blameless in God's sight. You are loved and adopted into His family. You've been redeemed and forgiven. You've obtained your inheritance in Christ. You've heard God's truth in Christ and you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And do do you see verse 14 of Ephesians 1? Do do you see the promise that one day you will acquire the heavenly fullness of your inheritance? And remember that early in that text, begin there verse 3, verse 4, that we were chosen in Christ for the foundation of the world. God has plans to bless His people. And the promise of verse 14 is that you will receive the fullness of those blessings. Regardless of what the world does to you or how it opposes you, you cannot but help receive the blessings of God. He will give it to you because He loves you in Jesus Christ. And friend, if you're here this morning and you're a believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then I want to invite you into the blessings of Jesus Christ. We are not naturally in Christ and blessed by Christ. Like Laban, by our sinful nature, we're all outside of God's covenant promises and blessings in Jesus Christ. Like Laban, we all kind of look out for ourselves. We look out for number one. We live our own way. We live for ourselves. We use other people to get what we want and bless ourselves. We sin against the living God by not living His way. We sin against the living God by setting ourselves up as king when He is the king and when He reigns upon the throne. And our sin against the living God, the holy God, the righteous God, the eternal God, deserves a holy, righteous, and eternal punishment forever in hell. But the good news of the Bible is is that God has told us He is ready to bless in His Son. He sent His Son to live the life that we've not lived. The life of perfect obedience to God the Father. Jesus lived for God the Father, and He lived for others. The exact opposite of Laban. Jesus laid down His life for sinners like us. He died on the cross, bearing the judgment and the punishment and the wrath of God against our sin. He was paid our wages for working in sin. And yet, three days after His death, God the Father vindicated Him and raised Him from the dead, proving to us all that there is eternal life offered in Jesus Christ. Friend, if you would turn from your sin and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you would receive the eternal blessing of being with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. That is the blessing of heaven, being with Jesus Right? When it's, it's not just that we get heaven, the glorious, perfect place that it is, but it is that we get Jesus in glory. When a bride walks down the aisle, she's looking to her husband. She wants him. And that is the hope for the bride of the people of God, that we spend all eternity united to him. From that blessing is available to you today. So turn from your sins and embrace Jesus Christ in faith. Believe upon Him and you will be saved. And if you want to know more about what it means to follow the Lord Jesus, to love the Lord Jesus, to receive every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ, come and talk with me after the service. I'd love to to talk about this good news with you. Join us for lunch downstairs afterward and ask somebody, what does it mean to be blessed in Jesus Christ around your table? That would be a great 
conversation to have. Friends, brothers and sisters, as we conclude, let us remember God's faithfulness to bless His people, to overturn and overcome all of the opposition against us. That's what God did for Jacob, and He did it because He's a promise-making, promise-keeping God. Remember that Jacob had received God's blessings at Bethel in the house of God. And God was keeping His promises to bless him even in Laban's house. The world might oppose the people of God. The covetous sin of our hearts might threaten to tangle and ensnare us. But God's commitment to bless His people in Christ will overcome all of the world's opposition. All of our feeble faith. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together.